This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We're in Exodus chapter 23 and believe it or not, today we're going to finish chapter 23. It has been a long chapter. And the main reason is because there's just so many allusions to New Testament ideas, so many parallels that we can run with where God tells the Israelites to be this way. And then if you carry that out and look at it through the lens of the rest of scripture, you realize, okay, this is, there's the actual thing that Israel is being told to do. And then there's a principle that's behind it. And that principle leads us to really big stuff as far as our lives and as far as scripture and as far as understanding God's ultimate plan and ultimate work through all of us. So as we're studying through it, it takes a little time, especially the first part of this chapter to deal with and last chapter to deal with all these things that God said to them, but it comes from such a a deep reservoir from God, these things that were important. And if you take them all together, it's not a lot of stuff. And so you say, you can't really run the whole nation off of these individual, these this group of things because it doesn't cover enough. But what God's doing is he's covering a lot of spiritual territory that he is going to fill out and make more and make greater and make them understand it in its fullness in the next few books of scripture and in they're living that out in their lives and living that out in the promised land. And at the end of this chapter, we see that God is literally doing that with them. If you remember yesterday, he said, I'm going to drive out these tribes that are in the promised land and I'm going to give it to you, but I'm not going to drive them out too fast. If I drive them out too fast, if I just totally empty the land of the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Hittites, if all, I always call them all those ites. If I drive out the ites and leave the land for you to just come on in, first of all, the the animals, the wild animals will take over. And second of all, you won't have the opportunity to grow. You won't have the opportunity to struggle against them and be victorious. And you need to understand that there's a, there's the opportunity to struggle and become victorious. And oftentimes we just see our struggles as, as and, and let me tell you something, we do this all the time. You see a struggle that you have in your life as God in some way punishing you. In fact, I would say that for most believers, the punishment or the chastisement of God for your sin is, is not the primary way God teaches you. It, it, in fact, oftentimes, your heart is bent toward God in, in, in that you are a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. You're bent toward God, but you, you don't know really the depth of the depravity of your sin. You don't realize how far away from being a fully faithful person you really are. You want to be, you desire to be, you're born again to be that. 
but you don't really realize how really out there and how far away you really are. You don't you don't fully uh, grasp that, and, and I'm not sure we ever will fully grasp that. And so if God was punishing you for your sin, if God was punishing you for that, it would be some bad punishment. In fact, it might be so bad that he would beat you with a, a cat of nine tails and put a crown of thorns on you and beat you about the face until you're a bloody pulp and carry you out and hang you on a tree and you die. In fact, and I'm quite sure that would be the chastisement for your sin. And the way I know that is because that was the chastisement that Jesus took for our sin. And if you really, God was really in the business all the time of punishing you for your sin. First of all, the, the finished work of Jesus Christ would not be worth anything because you'd have to go through it too. And why would Jesus have to go through it being perfect if you're going to have to go through the exact same thing and be and and have your sin chastised out of you? That's not really the New Testament understanding of the covenant because it doesn't work that way. The New Testament understanding of the covenant works this way. If you follow the Holy Spirit and you follow his teachings, your heart and your mind are changed and you're bent toward sin or your flesh and your soul's bent toward sin is diminished and the spiritual and the new heart that's been given to you, the circumcised heart that's been given to you, it leads you into righteousness. It leads you to doing the right things. It leads you to doing and acting the right ways, which ain't easy. It's, I'm not saying that's easy either, but it's a whole lot better than the chastisement for sin that Jesus had to go undergo. It's way better than that. It's In fact, it's fabulously better than that. And it's got to have a starting point, and it's got to grow and mature. And when he says, I'm not driving the Hivites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the all the mites, if I'm not driving them out, I'm going to allow them to remain. They're not going to be more powerful than you when you are obedient, when you're, and remember, obedience by faith, when you're obedient to my will and my way, when you're that way, I'm not going to drive them out all uh, before you have to struggle against them because you need to struggle against the work of the enemy, the forces of darkness, the 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 sin that's in your life. You have to struggle against it so that you might learn what it is to walk in righteousness, walk in holiness. And so I'm not going to, I'm not going to chastise it out of you. I'm going to teach it out of you. I'm going to grow it out of you. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to teach you how to walk like I walk. I want you to teach you how to see things like I see things. I'm going to teach you how to think like I think. And, and as the Holy Spirit's leading us to do those things, they, we're victorious over the heights. We're victorious. And you say, well, what do the heights really mean? They stand for, they stand for the, the structural darkness that is this world. And as you are victorious over the structural darkness that controls this world, you, you are victorious over your own sin nature and you begin to walk in his holiness. Now, <clears throat> The way I know that's the case is because in verse 31 through 33, he's going to give us boundaries of the area that he's prepared for them when they go in. And it's not the same as the boundaries that he's going to give them later on. In fact, it's really small. It's a really small boundary area that he's giving them when they go in this when it, at his initial giving them of the boundaries of the promised land is small. Uh, he says, I will establish your border from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea, okay? 
and from the desert of the Euphrates and and from the desert to the Euphrates River. I'll give you land, people who live in that land, and you will drive them out before you. Do not make a covenant with them or with their gods. Now he says, I'm going to give you from I'm going to give you from the Red Sea up through with the border of the Mediterranean to the west, all the way up to the river Euphrates. Now you say that's a big area. That's bigger than Israel is right now. And it is, it is, it's way bigger than Israel is right now. But the land that God gives them that he describes to them uh, later on is a land that goes all the way up almost to Mesopotamia. It goes all the way over into what we know as the Persian Gulf. And it covers all the way South into the Sinai, into the Arabian Peninsula. It is a huge area. In fact, it's an area that's about half the size of the United States. It is a big area <clears throat> that God says, I'm going to give you, and I'm talking about basically the, the East Coast and the Mississippi River Basin, all the way up into the Minnesota areas and those areas, all the way down into, into parts of East Texas, all the way to the coast. It's a huge area, he says, I'm going to give them. But right here, he says, I'm going to give you well, maybe a third of that. And, and I'm being very, I had not gone out there and figured out, okay, this is this many square kilometers and that one's that many square kilometers. I just know that this description is not as big a description as the description he gives them of their, of the promised land later on that he wants them to take. And that is a neat thing about God with, with young believers, with those who he is teaching and growing. He doesn't expect you to be great at this. He really doesn't. And he says, okay, why don't we try to take this land, maybe a quarter or a third of what we thought, what, what I'm going to give you. But right now we got to get good at doing this. And I think of all, for me, it's like in the military, they didn't teach me how to do everything at once. In fact, they didn't teach me really how to do hardly anything at once. It was a progressive teaching and growing. I remember when I went down to uh, get my equipment, it was the first day of football practice too. And I, and school hadn't started, but I had to go, I had to be there at 10 o'clock. And I thought 10 o'clock, I'd go get my equipment for ROTC. And then I'll be at football practice at 2.30 and I'll be able to field at three. I got there at 10 and it was two o'clock before I left. And they gave me duffel bags of stuff. And I didn't know what any of it was. I didn't know how it's supposed to look. I didn't know how I was supposed to wear it. I, I didn't know. I, I just didn't. I had no clue about how I was supposed to look. And I remember showing up that first day for the uh, first uh, formation that I was ever in. And I remember all my other freshman friends showing up, and we looked like Dudleyville. Just, just, we had no clue. Just a mess, just an absolute mess. And I remember those seniors coming up and they weren't yelling at us. They were all trying to fix us as best they could right before the formation. So we looked halfway decent. And so in about 10 minutes, they got most of us looking that we might one day, maybe one day we could become soldiers. And, and really that's how God does with us. He's not trying to fix you overnight. He, he has redeemed you instantaneously through his son, but he ain't trying to fix you uh, to, for tomorrow. Okay. You ain't got to wake up tomorrow and be totally righteous and totally holy. If you did, he'd break you. You you just get broke. That's the way it'd be. You'd just be broken. You couldn't make it. And God says, listen, I'm going to give you this area. And let's see if you can, if you could take that. He says, but this is how you do it. 
first of all, rudimentary things. Don't make covenants with their gods. And it hearkens me back. And the, the two don't have anything to do with each other on the surface and at the depths. It has everything to do with each other. I think of John as he's writing First John to what he calls the little children. And he's in his 70s when he's writing that book. And so everybody's a little children to him. And he says, do not let them live in the land. He says, do not love the world or anything of the world. For if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Here he says, do not make any covenants with their gods. And you go, well, what's what, what? those are not the same thing. Yeah, they are. It's what you fill your heart with. What's your heart full of? Is your heart full of the world and other gods, or is your heart full of God? And John's method is from a completely Jesus New Testament perspective. He's These people don't know who Jesus is, and they don't know about loving God and loving the world the way the way we did. They don't know anything like us. So John can say to us, don't love the world or anything of the world, because if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Notice, it doesn't. he didn't say that God doesn't love you. He says that you've not let his love have its reign and its rule in you. The love of the Father can't be in you because you love in the world. You can't serve two masters, as Jesus says. You'll love the one and hate the other. So what he's saying is if you love the world, how are you going to love God? You can't. That's a New Testament perspective. That's a New Testament understanding. The Old Testament understanding it, it, here is do not make covenants with them, meaning the ites, and with their gods. Why? Because you can't have a covenant with me and a covenant with them. They're competing contracts. They're competing agreements. They don't work together. You can't make covenants with them and covenants with me. You can't have both. You can't, and, and John aptly describes it in its fullness, you can't love the world and have God's love filling you up too. You can't have both. And if you'll notice that these are New Testament principles in their rudimentary form being given to Israel. It says, don't make covenants with other gods. Do not let them live in your land or they will cause you to sin against me. He said, New Testament, you go, what's the New Testament idea about that? Do you not know the bad company corrupts good character? That's the principle there. Do not let them live in your land or they will cause you to sin against me. Bad company, meaning company that does not love God. Companionship with people, meaning close, intimate relationships. It doesn't mean to get rid of everybody that's lost and don't have any loving relationship with them in the sense of you are trying to be love and life to them. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about he's talking about intimate companionship. Don't make companions with the world. Don't make companions with those who who don't who who don't know Christ, who don't have the love of the God, love of God in them. He tells them. Do not live with it, let them live in your land or cause you sin against me because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. Bad company corrupts good character. What he's saying is bad intimate companionship with lost people and with sinners causes you to have your character tarnished. It's a snare to you. You see how these pr principles that God is giving them are direct, directly correlated with New Testament principles that have their fullness in Jesus Christ. I, I see them. I see them all the time, and I, I just love them. And that's why we do these Bible studies is I'm doing my best to, to relate that to you and to maybe some people down the road 
over the years that may be listening to this. This Bible study might not be listened to after the next week or two. It might not be listened to, but once every five, six, ten weeks by somebody on a podcast or maybe on a, a TV network that, that we're putting together. Maybe it may not be listened to, but maybe five times a year. But if the right person hears this, and they're in that situation where they're trying to decide what, how they relate to the world and how they relate to God, it's a great Bible study because it correlates between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It tells us, listen, you can't make intimate covenants with other gods and have the covenant God has for you. You can't serve two masters. You can't have the love of God in you and the love of the world. You can't have both. And you can't keep company with lost and dying people and expect that their lifestyle is not going to be a snare to you. And you're going to have to clean yourself up. And I've taught this to so many people over so many years. And sometimes they're in a position where they got, got ears to hear and they hear it. And sometimes they're not. And then later on, they remember and they hear it. And sometimes they never hear it. And that's the way, that's the way this progression works. It's a step-by-step lifestyle progression that just takes time. And one of the things that God has always taught me as a pastor, and if you're out there trying to help people and you're going, it just frustrates me to death. I'm tired of doing it. One of the things God asked me as a pastor to be, and I would say for you out there who are so frustrated with maybe somebody who's struggling with the world, he would ask you to be this way for them. He would say, have my ultimate character. And the ultimate character of God that plays out so well in the world is he is patient. He is long-suffering. His love is everlasting, and he knows it'll have its full effect if he will be patient and wait and be true and real. And if he'll do that and do that, we'll come to him eventually. And if that's the case for him, should it not be the case for us? Absolutely, it should be. It should be the case for us. We should be patient, long-suffering, full of grace, and full of love, just like he is. And maybe one day, 20 years from now, somebody will be listening to this, and they will turn and order their lives in such a way that they have kingdom power, and they walk in the blessings of God because they've realized, I can't love the world and love God. Just little steps. That's what matters. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.